You're listening to a live recording from Westside Church in Bend, Oregon. Thanks for joining us. Hey, good morning, Westside Church. It is so good to be together this morning, and uh, I want to give a shout out to all our home churches who are meeting all over the region. Uh, super excited to continue to hear the news and stories coming in about just good things happening through these groups. And so uh, if you're not in a group and are looking for one, make sure you connect to home churches on the website. Uh, hope you're having an amazing summer in the midst of all the interesting things going on in our world. Uh, I love summer. Who doesn't? Uh, and one of the things I love about summer the most is uh, the occasional dramatic summer storm that we get here in Bend, right? Uh, dark clouds, the thunder, the lightning, the rain, and all of that. And uh, about a week ago, uh, I came home from work, and I was going to do a quick bike ride uh, out Skyliners Road towards Tumalo Falls. And uh, as I was getting ready for the ride, st- skies were becoming more and more dark. And uh, I was actually getting kind of excited about this. So I head out on the ride. I get about halfway up Skyliners Road. And uh, the clouds are really getting dark and, dark, and it's starting to sprinkle. And before you know it, the sprinkles turn to rain. And in the distance, I can hear thunder kind of just subtly rolling. A few more minutes go by, and suddenly the rain turns to hail, and the hail continues to get bigger and bigger until it's really about a, the size of a marble. And at this point, I'm riding, and I'm kind of grinning and giggling while I'm being pelted by these marbles. And I'm getting as tight as I can, and I can, I can hear Peter pattering off of my helmet, and uh, after a couple of nice uh, hail shots to the uh, corners of my elbow bone, I was like, okay, I'm done. I pulled off, got, got under a tree, and uh, for the next three or four minutes, just waited it out uh, for the hail to stop coming down. Well, as I waited, and as the hail subsided, the thunder definitely was ramping up, and lightning was flashing in the distance, and so I thought I better turn around, got on my bike, and started heading back home, and on the way home, the lightning really was, at least how I perceived it, starting to flash above and all around me, which was invigorating and exciting and also a little bit terrifying. Well, I hustle home, I get back home, and as I'm putting my bike and stuff away, it didn't take long before I could smell the smell of a forest fire, like that distinct smell. And uh, I went in, I I told my wife, Kim, and she was like, oh, I smell it too. And uh, within a few minutes, you could hear sirens coming. I was like, oh, wow, something's on fire. Hopefully it's not the neighbor's house, something like that. Anyway, uh, that all subsided. They got the fire taken care of and out, and uh, uh, life was good. And I love that kind of drama. I love a dramatic storm like that. There's something so invigorating about it. And lightning is fascinating to me. It's so dramatic and and powerful and dynamic. And it's just every time there's a good lightning storm, uh, it just gets me excited. I was looking on weatherstem.com, and uh, interesting, the average lightning bolt is 15 million volts of electricity. Um, The air around a lightning bolt uh, heats up to about 50,000 degrees Fahrenheit, which is 10 times the heat of the sun. The average uh, number of strikes on the earth uh, per second is 100, which translates into about uh, just over 8 million lightning strikes on the planet every day, 3 billion plus per year. That is a lot of lightning. And when lightning hits something like a tree uh, or a building, a structure, it is devastating. When that energy comes so quick and so intensely, it is absolutely devastating. And I guess the question that comes to my mind when I think about lightning sometimes is, why, why haven't we figured out a way to harness that energy? It seems like an amazing way to power the world since there's so much of it and so much electricity. And, and yet it's a tricky thing to, to pull off, right? 
I was reading a paper on MIT engineering and, uh, or from MIT engineering, and they basically summarized that uh, it's too difficult to consistently attract lightning bolts to the same place to harvest and capture that energy. And it's also too dangerous to capture it because it's so powerful and so intense. And then the third issue is that it's, it's too quick. The, 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 the lightning bolt, although it's intense and powerful, is too short-lived to be useful and efficient. And so uh, we haven't figured out how to do that. I wonder if lightning is maybe a good picture of love. Love is one of those things that I, I think sometimes we hear so often, it's all around us, that it almost becomes ethereal. It's, it's in the atmosphere, but we don't really notice it. Uh, it doesn't always land. You know, we, we're, we're familiar with phrases like, I love you. Love is the answer. Love makes the world go round. Bob Goff told us that love does. Rob Bell clarified, love wins. And of course, the Beatles reminded us that you can't buy me love. If you've ever been to a wedding, you know that love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't envy. Of course, until about day three of the honeymoon. We're no, we know we're supposed to love one another, love our neighbor, unless they're a jerk. Love is everywhere. Even in football season, which who knows we'll have one this year. But in the end zone of virtually every professional football game, there's some kind of a banner that says John 3.16, For God so loved the world. And love can feel like it's all around us. It's in the atmosphere, but it can also be very ethereal. Something we espouse, but don't always really land with it very well. In fact, sometimes we don't land with it very well at all. It can be more like a lightning bolt that has a lot of power and potential, but when it strikes, it's too much, it's too intense, it's the wrong timing, it's not sustained. And so once again, it, it doesn't have the, the impact that it potentially could have. Philippians chapter 1 verse 27 says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And we're living in a time that, that might be one of the greatest opportunities for the gospel to have impact in our world, at least in, in my recent memory. There's so much going on in the world. There's so much opportunity for potential and for, for good impact. And I'm so proud of Westside Church. I'm proud to call this my church family, to be a part of what we're doing. I, I believe as a church, we're doing uh, beautiful and amazing things to continue to uh, connect the love of Christ with our community, our friends, our neighbors, and in the world. Uh, I, I love it. Uh, we don't always get it right. Nobody ever does. But I love the way we're continuing to lean into and to progress and to work towards and to continue growing in these things that Jesus has called us to. But I'm not sure that's always the case in terms of the world's perception of Christians and the church. I, I'm not sure we're always perceived as the most loving bunch. I think sometimes we espouse love and mercy and grace and kindness and things like that. And yet sometimes our actions convey a different message. One of maybe anger or, or disrespect or content, contempt. We don't mean to. But kind of like that rogue lightning bolt, somehow our best attempts, when they do land, uh, are occasionally not quite as productive as we hope. And we live in a time right now in our country and the world where tensions are high on all kinds of topics and issues, important issues. And yet there's a sense of, of, of division and polarization, uh, frustration and anger, depending on who you talk to. It seems like so many people are angry about so many things. And whether it's politics or social issues or racial issues, COVID, should I wear a mask, not wear a mask? Should churches meet or not meet? 
Should we open schools or not? So many issues, important issues, and they're sticky issues. Agreeing to disagree isn't enough. I, I like that phrase, actually. I, uh, it makes sense to me if I can have a conversation with something that's a tough issue and maybe we're not agreeing, and, 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 and that ability to say, well, let's disagree, agree to disagree. And yet that doesn't land most of the times because I, I think sometimes in the back of our head we, we recognize that it probably means one of these things. I've, I've found a couple of these phrases that are interesting. Agreeing to disagree may actually mean something like this. Let's agree to disagree, but then quietly resent each other later. Or rather than us agreeing to disagree, why don't you just be quiet? Not very helpful. If by agree to disagree, you mean let's continue to think each other is an idiot, then sure. <laughs> and so as much as that can be a helpful sentiment, I'm not sure it takes us where we need to go, especially in times when we're learning how to have productive conversation and dialogue and, and how, how to help love land in practical ways in our world where not everybody agrees on everything. As Christ followers, we're called to love in ways that honor Jesus and lead to life in our world. And the bottom line is that just is not always easy to pull off. Matthew chapter 10, verse 16 says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Jesus is saying, hey, listen, he was talking to the disciples as he sent them out in pairs to share the gospel. And he was saying, listen, be wise. This is tricky business. People are going to oppose you. They're going to disagree. They're not going to like you. They're going to maybe even want to harm you. Be wise. But that's the job. And when we get it wrong, love at best is worthless static, and at worst it can be pretty harmful and hurtful. But when we get it right, it's powerful beyond measure. I want us to look at a passage in Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus gives us some clues at how we might engage with our world in increasingly more effective ways in terms of how we love and how we do that in practical expressions that land, that connect, and that are productive. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 through 45, he says, You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Watch this. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Let me translate this for all of us in what I call the, oh shoot, this isn't just poetry, he's talking to me version. Jesus is saying, listen, loving people that are like you, loving people that agree with you, that's easy. Everybody does that. Learning how to love someone who isn't like you, who dislikes you, who's maybe mean or even nasty to you, maybe someone who, who wishes for your demise. That's what I'm calling you to. That's the call. I'm calling you to love your enemy. Let that land. Don't let that remain ethereal. For me, I know that that phrase is, I have it memorized. Love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. It, it remains in this, this atmospheric state and, and, and 
The problem is I don't let it land in my life and actions enough. And yet Jesus calls us to love our enemies, those people that aren't like us, that disagree with us, that dislike us. That's a tough thing to do. It's tough because it's not natural. That, that's not naturally what I want to do. It, it's actually a super natural. It's outside of, above my natural abilities and tendencies. My natural tendency when I am in, engaging with someone I disagree with, or maybe who someone is an enemy, if you will, I begin to see them as an opponent to be defeated or defended against. The, we, we, we naturally begin to feel these gaps when we are in disagreement with someone about any topic. Uh, it, it becomes more about what do you think and what do I think and who's right, who's wrong. We become very binary. And dialogue goes out the window and our, our, our sense of feeling and love towards each other begins to devolve and it really does become about an adversarial relationship. And yet Jesus, amazingly, throughout Scripture we read, Jesus engaged with people from every walk of life imaginable, every uh, socioeconomic strata, every philosophy and belief system. He engaged with all of them with honesty and truth and at times boldness and bluntness. And yet, always in a way that was loving honoring and respectful. It was amazing the way he, he, he was able to do both. He never crossed that line where it became a name-calling thing, a, a derogatory thing, a deriding, devaluing thing. He always had the ability. We're going to come back to that, and I'm going to show you some examples. There's three things I want us to look through, uh, look for as we do this. Three distinct things about Jesus' approach that I think we can live today in our lives with the people we interact with, whether we agree with them or disagree with them, Three things from Jesus' life. First one is this. Jesus understands the imago Dei in each person. Come back to that phrase, imago Dei. Genesis chapter 1, 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Catch this. All humankind, from the beginning of history to today, and everyone who will be created, all humankind has been created in the image of God. We are bearers of that image. We are reflections. It doesn't mean we're gods. It doesn't mean we're copies of God, but we bear that image. He created us that way. Now, we're also created with free will, so it means we don't necessarily have to bear or reflect that image in life. But the potential is there, and the inherent value that comes with that is in every human being, regardless of how loving or horrible they are, how, how, how benevolent or malevolent they are. Every human is made, created in the image of God. You know, when my two kids were born, my, both my kids are, are grown, my daughter's married, uh, both my kids are um, launching their own careers and lives. Uh, when they were born, of course, you love your kids and you're, you're in awe of them and, and, and just this, this bundle of life. It's, there's, it's, it's really un, unspeakable. And yet, I had no, no grasp or understanding then of just how much they were bearers of the image of God, of holders of the potential, the inherent value that he created them with. I just didn't understand it like I do now when I look back from where they are today to then. And so now, when I get a chance to hold someone's newborn baby, I'm telling you, I just, I, I just lose it. I, I see that infant 
through a completely different lens now, now that I have grown kids. I see the potential and value right now, where is when I was a new parent, all I could see was, uh, what do I do? Uh, they're crying. How do I make this stop? How do I help them? Are they hurting? Are they happy? That's, that's about all I could see. And there's something about when our understanding changes about each other, the way we see each other changes. And that's the second thing. Jesus sees each person through the Imago Dei. So he, he understands the Imago Dei in each person and he sees each person through that image. When we see the inherent fingerprints of God and potential on a person's life, uh, it changes us. Th think about how Jesus interacted with the disciples. Tax collectors, fishermen, pe people that were considered outcasts by society. He didn't deride them for their life or, hey, why didn't you make something better of yourself? There was none of that. He didn't, he didn't argue with them about what they believed or didn't believe. He called them to drop their nets and called out the imago Dei, the image that they bore, called out the potential in them because he could see it. The woman at the well, a woman who had, had multiple husbands and Jesus is dialoguing with her about that and, 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 and mentions to her that even, even the man you're with now is not your husband. And he's not doing it in a way to, to, to humiliate her or devalue her. He's calling her out. He's calling her. He's, he's saying, listen, I'm calling you to a higher potential, greater life. The woman caught in adultery. The mob was there ready to condemn her, ready to execute her according to the law. And yet Jesus lovingly stood up for her. He lifted her up and he called the mob not to see her sin, but to see the beauty and potential in her future. And then he called her to trade her life of sin that was killing her for something that was greater life. He was calling her out of circumstances, much of which was probably out of her control, much of which was her trying to just survive in a brutal society. He called her out. He called her into greater life. You think about the Pharisees and the religious leaders of Jesus' day. He reserved his stiffest rebu rebuke for this group. They were oftentimes corrupt, power-hungry, and, and, and cruel in the way that they enforced the Jewish law. Uh, and he, was, he, he pulled no punches with them. He was brutally blunt, brutally honest. At one time, he even called them whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. Basically saying, hey, you, you, you look shiny on the outside, but inside your heart, your core, your character is absolutely bankrupt and corrupt. And he didn't do that in the sense of calling them names and, to, again, to ridicule or to humiliate. He was, he, was, he was calling out truth and calling out the image that they bore and calling them into that. And whether they would do that or not was their choice. But he never looked at them through a, a, a lens of disrespect or dishonor or disparity. Even with the, the Pharisees' religious leaders, it was a calling out the imago Dei, the potential in them. When we understand the image that we each bear, it enables us to see each other through that image and the potential and the value that's there. And that radically alters how we engage with each other. It radically alters our ability and, and the way in which we love each other. That's what Jesus did. He engaged based on the Imago Dei. He engaged his world. He engaged people based on the image that they bore. How we engage with each other matters more than the issues we're engaging. 
Jesus engaged with people based on their value and their potential first and the important issues in life second. Let me say that again. Jesus engaged with people based on their value and potential, the imago Dei, the image they bore first and then addressed the issues at hand. And when we get that backwards, a gap is created It becomes about adversaries and opponents and winning and losing. I'm right, you're wrong. And we miss the opportunity and love can't land. And at very best, it just lands like a lightning bolt. It's abrasive, it's too intense, it's the wrong timing. It it doesn't sustain. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 23 uh, through 25. Paul is writing to young Timothy and he says this. He says, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. I'm reading that for myself. Do not have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone. Back to a tall order. That is tough to do. And yet that's the call. Must be kind to everyone. Able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed. Watch this. Must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance or that change of mind leading them to the knowledge of the truth. All the pressure is off of us. Our job is not to change people, convince people, win people over. Our job is to extend the life and love of Jesus in our world to be a witness to the goodness of God and who he is and what he's done in us. And then he does the heavy lifting. He does the changing of the heart and the mind the pressure's off of us. And I think when we can grasp that, it enables, it enables us to, to relax and just realize our job is to see each other, see the potential, the Imago Dei, to lean into that, to love, to bless, to love your enemies. Pray for them. Bless those who persecute you. Our job is to partner with God in calling out the potential in each other while he does the heavy lifting. One last scripture before we close. James chapter 1, verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And what I'm learning and trying to grow in is this. When we engage based on the Imago Dei, the image, the potential, the inherent value in each human being, regardless of how they live, regardless of how they speak, regardless of how they act, regardless of how they treat us, the pressure for me to write, the pressure for me to be right, the pressure for me to change someone else is off of me and it's onto God. And my job is simply to slow down, to listen, to see, to avoid taking offense, to learn when I can, and to respond always with love, and respect. When we get that right, love moves from being empty, ethereal, atmospheric words and good intentions. And it's able to connect in a way that's timely and in the right intensity and in in ways that are sustainable. It's not too quick. It's not too intense. And it becomes incredible. It's it's distinctive. And and, in the unique times we're living right now, um, I think love has the chance when it lands, when it connects, to stand out more than ever because it's such a contrast to the atmosphere we're in right now. And that distinctive power is supernaturally then harnessed.
And it has the power and the ability to bring life and light to a city. And that's a beautiful thing. I want to give us three practical ideas to think about this week, and then we'll pray. First, I want to encourage you to memorize Genesis chapter one, or uh, sorry, Genesis chapter three, verse 27. Write that down real quick. It's very short. Memorize Genesis chapter 27 this week and let God begin to change your understanding about how we are all made. Everyone around you. Second, pray. I want to encourage you right now. Maybe you want to close your eyes, but get the picture of a person, someone you know, someone you interact with, someone that sometimes things get a little too adversarial, uh, a little too tense. The, the, the lines cross and it becomes personal. Uh, it's not healthy dialogue. It's not healthy back and forth and learning from each other. It becomes personal. And, and you feel that gap grow. And, and love can't land because there's a fence. Uh, would you get that person's face in your mind? And then this week, would you commit to any time that God brings them to your mind, simply pray for them. Not for them to change, but pray that, that God would change your understanding and your view of them and that he would help you be a blessing to them, to love them in ways that actually land and connect, that are authentic and sustainable. Last thing I want to encourage some of you to do, uh, I've had to do this a couple times, disengage. I think there's times where it's, it's valuable to take a fast, <laughs> like do a 30-day fast from meaningless arguments and quarrels, especially if it's online and, you know, whether it's Facebook or this or that in the chat, it's so easy to fire off this comment and this thing and this provocative thing that just starts quarrels and anxiety and there's no fruit. It goes nowhere. I know we feel like we're changing the world one comment at a time. I, I hate to break your heart. You're not. You're two or 300 followers or maybe even a thousand or 2000 followers. That's not going to change their hearts or their lives. And so maybe it's, it's, it's beneficial this week uh, in some area of your life to say, I'm going to disengage from this area because it's not really fruitful right now. And it really just creates anxiety and quarrels. And I want to let God change me so that love can land in my life in ways that really matter. Let's pray together. Jesus, we're so thankful for your life, your example for the way you showed us how to do the really hard things in life. You showed us how to love our enemies. You showed us how to uh, stand for what is right and true and good and do it in ways that don't soften the truth and yet do it in ways that don't cross a line of disrespect and dishonor. We're able to still love and, and care for and see the value and potential in others. And so would you just anchor that into our souls? Would you transform our minds and thinkings in terms of how we see each other and how we engage with each other this week? Lord, would you change us? Would you continue to make us more and more like you? And especially in the coming months and the election coming up, Lord, as tensions may grow on a myriad of topics, would you help us as your people be distinctly different? Would you help us as your people uh, be conveyors of love in a way that brings light and life to our homes, our neighborhoods, our city and beyond? We thank you for that. We thank you for your power that works in us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, God bless you this week. Have a great week, and we will see you next time.